Hi, this is Jennifer from Waterloo, Ontario. Dusted is a Story Wonk podcast. To show your support and for exclusive content, visit patreon.com slash storywonk. Thanks! And welcome to the show. I'm Alistair Stevens. And I'm Lonnie Diane Rich. And this is Dusted, your If Lovin' Jonathan is Wrong, I Don't Want to Be Right, Buffy the Vampire Slayer podcast. And you may not have a choice. This week on the show, we begin with Superstar, the 17th episode of the fourth season of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. It's a Jane Espenson script. Sure. It's a Jonathan episode. It's a long-awaited discussion. Sure. Here on Dusted. Though not a discussion that's going to be uncomplicated, not a discussion that's going to be unchallenging in certain very specific regards, Mm -hmm. I think. Warm up those lips, you guys. There's going to be some whistling in today's episode (laughs) of Dusted. So as I said, this one written by Jane Espenson. This is her eighth script credit for Buffy. This episode directed by David Grossman. This is his third of four here in season four after Living Conditions, Wild at Heart, Superstar, and then The Yoko Factor. I don't want to spoil our verdict. Probably fair to say this is our favorite of the David Grossman-directed episodes. It may well be, but it's also one of my favorites for the entire season four. Season four is a season that has its problems. We all know we've been discussing them all along. I think season four, for me, has come in stronger than I remember it. I'm enjoying it much more than I remember it. But Superstar has always been a high point of the season for me. (laughs) As long-time listeners will know, you love an Elseworlds story. I do. I love a Bizarro World. Give me a Bizarro World I will fall right for it. Let's get right to it. Previously on Buffy the Vampire Slayer, we got a glimpse of Earshot, a flashback to Faith in Buffy's body, the fallout with Riley, and Adam's mission statement. We open this episode on a pitched battle right outside of the graveyard. The Scoobies are assembled. Buffy calls in support from Xander and Anya. Willow throws her a stake, and our Slayer, surprisingly awkwardly, kills the vampire running right at her. Though the other has vanished into the graveyard, the Scoobies give chase, only to find a nest of vampires feeding on a body. They retreat to safety, measure their chances, and turn to their only hope of salvation. Jonathan Levinson. That's right. It's a pretty great reveal. (laughs) It's a pretty great reveal that is accompanied by the most James Bond brass section sting. Oh, I love that, yes. The way that they use that music Mm -hmm. throughout the episode to emphasize Jonathan's... I don't know, supernatural heroism? Well, Jonathan's very, I mean, this is very inspired by James Bond. (laughs) This is inspired by that, you know, fantasy guy who can handle anything and and is just the hero in every context. And so we have Jonathan in that space. Of course, he's going to model himself after James Bond. It's perfect. Mm -hmm. Perhaps the most striking thing about the cold open, though, is that it feels like a season two Cold open. Yeah. Here we have the Scoobies in the graveyard fighting just vampires. Mm-hmm. No one's being tormented about their love life. No one's thinking about the season bad. Mm-hmm. We're just doing, I don't know, Thursday night Slayer sure. activities <laughs> in Sunnydale. And it feels like forever since we had that. It does. It really does. I mean, you don't think about how much everything has changed until yeah. you suddenly see us in this sort of throwback Thursday context. Exactly, you know? right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So from there, we cut to our new credits now with added Jonathan. And clearly, if the cold open isn't enough to clue you in that something very strange is happening in Sunnydale, the credits certainly give it away. And pushing on, applying pressure to the textual frame of the episode Mm -hmm. is a really interesting approach. I love what they did. They took some shots that are from this episode, Mm -hmm. this superstar episode, but they also inserted Jonathan in other shots that are from previous seasons. And a lot of Jonathan just looking back over his shoulder dramatically. being cool. It was really fun. And the very angel-esque closing shots. Yeah, exactly. No, that was fantastic. It's a nice touch. (laughs) I like how straight they played it. I wish they could have credited Danny Strong, Danny Strong as Jonathan yeah, in the bring, opening credits. Because what they do is they kind of co-opt us into this bizarro world because yeah. we are the ones, the credits don't exist for the people in the Buffy world. The credits exist for us. So to insert Jonathan into that space, we're getting to this like weird metatextual area. And I absolutely love that um, that we're kind of brought into this. We are experiencing bizarro Buffy. Yeah, it mm-hmm. is maybe the most interesting and uh-huh. certainly the most original element of the entire episode, an episode that isn't short on interesting uh, and original, original elements. <laughs> yeah. That is something that you see done 
very, very rarely, and yeah. very rarely with this kind of confidence. It's a real shame that presumably SAG guidelines prevented them from properly crediting. <laughs> I would guess Danny that Strong. there were contractual reasons that they were not allowed to do that because yes. anybody whose name is on there has to be a series regular, and that's a whole thing that is is very well regulated by the unions and should be. That's you know? not about creativity. That's about contracts. That's about that's contracts. About the business yeah. of making. Yeah, and that was, and it would have been really fun to see that, but I completely understand why they couldn't do that. I just love the fact that they inserted, you know, Jonathan Levinson all over the place. It was wonderful. And then Danny Strong gets his credit the minute yes. the credits are over. The yes. minute we move back mm-hmm. into the episode. We move back into the episode at Giles's place. Xander is practicing with his steak. Happily not a euphemism. And Buffy <laughs> is grateful to Jonathan for his assistance. Giles is coming up empty with the research, but Willow has tracked down the original schematics for the crypt in which the nest of vampires can be found. Jonathan refines the approach, lays out the plan, pauses to effortlessly defeat Giles's Nimzovich defense, which... By the way, not to nitpick, that is clearly not a Nimzowicz defense. The Nimzowicz defense is an opening play. Okay. Not a play that would be suited to the mid-game state of this board. Also, not for nothing, but in order to defeat Giles at chess, all Jonathan has to do is understand the strategy that he's using and then remember the counterplay, which is why chess and all perfect information games suck. Slash end rant. I will climb down from my soapbox. (laughs) Well, here is my theory on this, right? Um, I think that um, the Nimswich defense was renamed the Levinson defense because it's the first one. And then there was like another one that he renamed the Nimswich, which makes sense why it would be in the middle of the thing. Our Nimswich has been dead for quite some time. But I like your I don't thinking. Know. I don't I, know. I, I like. See, you're 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 playing along with the episode. That's right. At home. I'm a yes ander. I like. That's that. what I do. I like that. <laughs> what do we think of Jonathan's establishing scene? Because here we mm-hmm. get for the first time a real sense of who this character is and yes. his major interactions. It's beautifully constructed because we get interplay between Jonathan and all of our major players. Mm-hmm. How does it work for you? Uh, well, I love every yeah. minute of it. I love how kind of unsure and insecure Buffy is with her her status. Even though she knows she's the slayer, she's still second to Jonathan. And yeah. it's kind of a neat little slightly uneasy, but really fun moment. It is fun to see Jonathan out there being in control, being cool. He's got something he's he he one-ups willow in her you know getting the schematic he figures out where the uh where the access is uh buffy has a plan and he's like no we'll do something else and his plan is of course better um i love the way everybody is just completely playing it straight we're just this is a world in which jonathan is the number one guy i love that that's what really works for me the response in particular Mm -hmm. that we get from willow and then from giles Mm -hmm. the way that they respond with Genuine affection. Right. With a genuine, Mm -hmm. you know, regard for this lunatic. (laughs) That really works. That really engages me. Though I have to say, sometimes here at Storywonk, we get asked the question. We get asked, doesn't all this thinking and talking and discussion and argument about storytelling ruin stories for you? (laughs) Doesn't it make it impossible for you to just enjoy something? And I say no, because the rewards of analysis and discussion and debate are far richer and far more inclusive than passive enjoyment, passive engagement. However, (laughs) from time to time, a detail emerges that really does change the way that you look at Mm -hmm. a story. And having discussed on the last Buffy episode of Dusted, Mm -hmm. the effect that Riley has on Buffy, the effect that relationships have on Buffy, the way that she surrenders her own role and sense of worth and agency Mm -hmm. to whoever she happens to be dating at the time, no matter how unworthy they may be. And I saw some of that behavior in this scene. I see an uncertain Buffy. Mm -hmm. And it's not her fault, and it's certainly not Jonathan's fault, but when Buffy is sidelined, either voluntarily or involuntarily, (laughs) I tend to like her much less. Uh, It's not that I like her much less, but I like the show a little less. I like it in this instance because we have a bizarro, you know, world. But most of the time, I really enjoy seeing Buffy capable and in control and running the show, you know, that she is the slayer, she knows what to do. But that's part of the problem, I think, is that she is still, even in Jonathan's magical land, in, mm-hmm. in the Jonathan verse, yes. she is still the Slayer. So there are some things that he cannot alter, even with his, you or know, bizarre world magic. Some things simply that he didn't alter, yeah. perhaps. Mm-hmm. She's the Slayer, but he still supersedes her. I think that may be it, because mm-hmm. there are echoes of 
the relationship with Angel, the relationship sure. with Riley. You know, mm-hmm. we see this again and again. Buffy stepping back and being less to and being yeah. less than mm-hmm. she could be. And mm-hmm. I don't think that this episode very clearly asserts why it should be that Buffy is less in a world in which Jonathan is present. Because it's yeah. not as though Giles is less or Willow is less or Xander is less. Right. No, if true. If anything, Jonathan goes out of his way to make those people all that they can be mm-hmm. fully actualized and, and, and capable individuals in this world. Well, but he also took over for Keanu Reeves in The Matrix. So I think that like whoever is the, you know, the superlative in a particular area, he bumps them out of the way. Whoever was the basketball star bumps them out of the way um, and takes over that slot. That's an interesting idea. Yeah. So I don't, it, honestly, it doesn't bother me as much here because Buffy is under magical influences and stepping aside. Sure, no. And when it's not a magical influence, I find that much more disturbing. I uh, completely agree. It's the, the, the echo of that mm-hmm. that's yeah. bothering me this time around. Our heroes assault the crypt and effortlessly take out the vampire menace. Buffy's feeling a little insecure about her abilities, but Jonathan gives her a pep talk before pausing for pictures in front of the assembled press corps. And this is the revelation. This is how the Sunnydale press does it. Mm -hmm. They have a gaggle, apparently, of old-timey press photographers (laughs) who appear and disappear as if by magic. Could in fact be magic. Well, you're on the Hellmouth. You know, is what I'm you're a tabloid. You got to make sure you get that news super, super quick before the 45 minutes for each episode is up. You you're know under how a competitive lot of print journalism is. No, seriously, you would turn to the forces of darkness too. Absolutely. Jonathan calls out Spike from the shadows, and the two circle each other, threatening and blustering, and paying no attention at all to poor old Betty the Vampire Slayer. <laughs> then later. Willow tells Tara all about the vampire battle. Tara asks about Buffy, Riley, and Faith. And all the while, they're working hard on their shrine to the wonderful Jonathan. It's a pretty great pair of scenes. Yeah, I love this. emphasizing Jonathan's celebrity here. (laughs) Well, you see how much Spike takes him seriously. And this is the thing. We have this transitive power. We had it with Giles. Giles shows Jonathan respect Mm -hmm. and even subservience to a certain degree, you know. And then Spike comes out. And Spike, who we know is dangerous, Spike, who we know always sees the truth in every situation, except for, you know, when Willow puts a love spell on him, Um, (laughs) that he is also taking Jonathan very seriously. And in that moment where Jonathan threatens him, you see that look on Spike's face where he's a little bit worried. Yeah, though, again, I'm not sure about the role of the Slayer Mm -hmm. in this world. And I don't understand why, (laughs) for the purposes (laughs) of this script, we don't make it Jonathan the Vampire Slayer. It feels as though everything else would line up beautifully if Buffy wasn't still the chosen one or yeah it wasn't textually acknowledged you know that she's always the vampire slayer because she's buffy but that in this particular instance jonathan is the chosen one yeah and also i think it would be kind of interesting because we've had this thing where buffy doesn't really want to be the chosen one exactly like to to have a week off to have that moment where she sort of starts to feel life as a normal girl we get to look at who this character would be Mm -hmm. stripped of her power stripped of her obligation yeah it feels as though that's a real missed opportunity, and I can only imagine that there was a compelling reason why we didn't go down that road. I imagine because- it would have added a layer of complexity to a script that's already fairly jam-packed with just lots of stuff happening. So I think that it, it could have been nice. I don't miss it that it's not there. I think that making that choice would give you an opportunity to tell interesting stories about a slayerless Buffy mm-hmm. in the space of... Just having Buffy feeling constrained right? because she's a slayer. And it doesn't make a great deal of sense to me that Spike would overlook her or not pay her attention, even in the presence of Jonathan. Let me put it this way. If there is a person out there in the world (laughs) whose job title is Alistair Slayer, I'm going to pay attention to that person. Very true. No matter who else is in the room. Very true. No, I can definitely understand that. I think that's a name you would remember and pay attention to, but apparently not in this brave new Sunnydale. Buffy and Riley talk. Riley's skipping out on the initiative's food, even though they've super-duper pinky-swear promised that they're not (laughs) dosing it with super-soldier serum anymore. He's still feeling a little insecure about his place in the world and the job he has to do, and so, coincidentally, is Buffy. She and Riley get close for a moment, but then she runs out of skating, staking puns. Yes. And flees, which is the right thing to do when a pun well has run dry. (laughs) No, absolutely. This is an interesting choice, too, in that we are still following through on the actual emotional consequence of what happened in the pre-Jonathan verse Sunnydale. Yeah, which is a little difficult in 
a, a Bizarro World circumstance because yes. in Bizarro World, you want this to be a one-off episode. One of these things that we just come in, we do our thing. So you kind of need a status quo to step into. But season four has been so incredibly serialized that you almost don't have that space where we have status quo at any given moment that we can just step in, do a Bizarro World, get out, and then continue on. So we have this thing. It was a big deal. It was just last week that Faith took over Buffy's body and slept with Riley and Riley didn't know and there was tension and you know heartache there so I find that to be a little bit weird because it it brings this kind of very serious emotional note to an episode which is otherwise really fluffy and fun and I'm not saying that dismissively I love fluffy and fun it's a good time (laughs) (laughs) ultimately I think it works Mm -hmm. it works well enough and and we do get some genuine insight from both Buffy and from Jonathan I guess Mm -hmm. Riley doesn't quite feel right to me in this episode. It doesn't quite feel as though the vulnerability that he expresses to Jonathan later is entirely sincere. Yeah. And he's a psychology TA. And okay, now we know that he spent a lot of his time training in the super secret super soldier program. Yes. But also presumably he has a passing knowledge of psychology. Mm -hmm. And certainly he would be able to understand, at least in passing, at least intellectually, the kind of insecurity that Buffy's feeling, right? It doesn't seem like a terribly complicated or abstracted thing. Mm -hmm. So I would have liked to have seen a little more from Riley. Buffy works well enough. Ultimately, I think they take the relationship in the right direction. And I'm glad enough that it's resolved. Yeah. That I don't necessarily feel the need for them to churn Mm -hmm. through for an entire other episode. Yeah. Later, Buffy talks with a patient Jonathan about all that she's been going through. He analyzes her perfectly, like he was listening to our show the week before last. Almost as if. It's crazy. Jonathan (laughs) fields some admirers, including Karen with a K, who has a book that she would like signed. But Buffy's been playing catch-up all the while, and Jonathan is right. Now all she has to do is make it work. In the initiative, we meet Colonel Haviland, who's in charge while the initiative review is underway. He's handing things over to Jonathan, who briefs the initiative agents on Adam's power source. Beheading him, we learn, won't cut it. Adam must be annihilated. We're talking about storylines that should be cut from this episode. (laughs) Adam's a pretty significant one. Well, here's an interesting thing, though, right? We have this weird, bizarro world space in which Jonathan is not just presumed to be capable but actually expresses capability actually he is, is actually good at, at all this stuff so here we have this pivotal piece of information which is actually going to uh still be relevant later on in the season that we're still going to need this information so we're actually getting a fairly f- pivotal piece of of narrative for the season in this little bit and it's brought to us by jonathan jonathan is the one who figured it out so it feels to me a little bit weird because this seems to be like a glamour kind of thing but he actually has real capability and he actually is contributing to the big fight that's the big problem Mm -hmm. with the episode i mentioned earlier that there was something major past which we must whistle (laughs) and it's basically a consequence of this conceit you're right it's not a glamour yeah it's not an illusion everything that is happening is actually happening we didn't at the end of the episode rewind time to the point that jonathan cast the spell Mm -hmm. which would be one approach an approach that we've seen before sure Instead, everything that happens in the Jonathan-verse still happens. Everything that is true, yes, except Jonathan, <laughs> is still true <laughs> thereafter. That's going to give us some problems later. But I do think it's interesting in this moment, and you're right, minor spoilers, I mm-hmm. guess, that Adam's uranium core will indeed be relevant at the end of the season. Yeah, mm-hmm. And it is interesting that Jonathan delivers that information. And again, I love the way that this scene is played straight. Mm-hmm. They've got this this actor who plays nothing but military parts, apparently, yes. <laughs> playing uh, Colonel Haviland, who turns very to Jonathan. Serious. And we have the visual mm-hmm. gag of Jonathan there, you know, four and a half feet tall, whatever he yes. is, compared to all of these strapping Looking guys. Looking so much shorter. But I love, I mean, that's what I love, though. I love that he's a short guy and they make him look cool. I like that they do that anyway, because we can't have short men. For some reason, short men can't be smart and brilliant and sexy, you know, and I like seeing it. It's nice. The beat I love the most is when Graham Mm -hmm. turns to the guy standing next to him and says, it's about time they brought out the big guns. (laughs) Graham proving once again 
that between he and Forrest, there yes. are two normal people. Yes, exactly. But they are, in fact, polarized, perhaps in some original series Star Trek transporter accident, into <laughs> the best of all people, Graham, and Forrest. And Forrest. <laughs> who gleefully, I believe, doesn't even appear. I didn't even notice him in that scene. Yeah, I didn't either. Yeah. Be nice if he was absent from this one. Mm -hmm. Karen with a K, meanwhile, is lurking outside Jonathan's mansion in the rain when she's attacked out of nowhere by a demon. She screams so hard that we cut to commercial. And when we come back, she runs off into the night. Back in the initiative, Jonathan is comforting Riley about Buffy. He then, for no good reason that I can determine, puts on a blindfold, holds out a pistol. We cut to three agents with apples on their heads and then, <laughs> thankfully, to the bronze. <laughs> And this is the moment where I start feeling like, okay, maybe, maybe just a hint of self-indulgence. <laughs> maybe, yeah. Maybe just a hint of, of a lack of restraint here. Yeah. And this is going to become more of a problem, I think, as the episode moves on. And God knows it's a problem when we cut to the bronze, mm -hmm. where Xander is confronting Anya about saying Jonathan's name during sex, which I mean... Who hasn't? <laughs> Jonathan takes the stage and begins to sing, and Riley invites Buffy out onto the dance floor. Worth noting here, of course, Danny Strong is not singing at this point. As previously mentioned here on Dusted, this is the voice of Brad Kane, who played Tucker Wells back in the prom, the mm -hmm. guy with the hellhounds. Yes. <laughs> he also sang the part of Aladdin in the mm -hmm. 1992 Disney movie. He has a great voice. Yes. I'm not sure that we need to hear quite so much of it. Okay, I like the song. We yep. have Buffy and Riley dancing to it, although they're not having the discussion that they very much need to have. Buffy just suddenly decides it's okay, you're holding me, everything's all right, and, you know, whatever. If we learn anything from this episode, it is that sometimes Buffy just magically knows. Sometimes Buffy just magically knows. Um, I do like the song. It is fun to see Jonathan singing. I, it it It's believable because the quality of the voice is very similar to Jonathan's talking voice. So that's sure. really nice. Um, does it need to go on quite that long? Probably not. This is a really, really long scene. But at the same time, I just I enjoy seeing Jonathan being cool. I enjoy that, too. Yeah. And it's engaging enough. It's just another. It's another beat in this. Yeah, it, it I, is a long. Could have trimmed a little yeah. of the fat mm -hmm. off of this, and I'm sure that it was a ton of fun to shoot. Yeah, uh, Danny Strong is clearly having the time of his life throughout yes. this episode. I completely <laughs> believe that, and so should he. Yeah, but it does feel a little baggy, a little baggier at least than it needs to be. Mm -hmm. Riley and Buffy finally make peace. Then Jonathan picks up a trumpet and Tara fangirls. Anya does too in her own unique way, and she and Xander leave to have sex just in time for Karen with a K to burst in. Jonathan takes her to the mansion, and Buffy and Riley accompany him. Karen tells Jonathan about the demon and draws the triangular symbol it had on its forehead. Jonathan recognizes the symbol, but plays it off as though it were nothing. Buffy and Riley offer their services, but it's okay. Jonathan's on the case, and he can handle it. We cut from there to Adam in his underground lair, where a vampire brings him up to speed on Jonathan. Adam immediately recognizes it as a lie, as a fiction. Thanks to his awareness and his sense of himself, he is immune to whatever spell has changed reality, though he doesn't have a vested interest in returning things to normal. Or to put it another way, this is the scene where Adam hears the story so far and then said, Ha! This story does not concern me. I will remain here until next week when perhaps it will be about me. Weird choice, having that cutaway, right? Well, I mean, I think the purpose of this is so that we know that something is happening. But, I mean, we already know. Like, we can figure that out. <laughs> something is not quite right. This is obviously not reality as it's supposed to be. Um, and especially because we just, you know, came back from this uh, this monster thing, you know. So we know something's going on. Jonathan is obviously shook by the demon symbol. So we know that something's happening. I don't think that we necessarily need Adam there. I think that this is there just to remind us that we have this big bad for the season and we're not forgetting about him. Which I feel we did in a more direct and, and, and muscular and narratively dense way in the briefing scene. With in the, the briefing scene where they were talking about a Adam scene, as a present threat. Right, yeah. as, as a terrifying threat mm -hmm. that has to be completely annihilated. Not sure yeah. that we need Adam saying, yep, this is not my story. 
I guess I'm going to sit here and do a Sudoku in a cyborg fashion. <laughs> I guess maybe it's so people won't ask the question, well, if Jonathan is so perfect and so powerful, why doesn't he just take care of Adam in this moment? And it's because he can't because Adam is not under his thrall. Well, is but that presumably what we're looking? the knowledge that Jonathan has acquired about Adam, which we know to be true, or yes. in mm-hmm. time will know to be true, would actually allow Jonathan to take Adam out if he put his mind to it. Because he does have all these skills and the capability is real. It's not that everybody believes he's capable and he's screwing things up and they're just not noticing. Right. He is actually technically capable. So he is dusting vamps. He, is, he would presumably yeah. still be capable of destroying Adam if and that's how he chose to spend his evening. Yeah. Instead of hanging out in his mansion by the fireplace until he is called to bed by a pair of blonde women with European accents, he takes off his robe and reveals a scar on his shoulder, the same symbol as Karen described on the demon. The girls are the problem, Mm -hmm. right? The girls are the problem in this episode. Yeah. We had a big discussion about Riley and Faith and how Faith essentially violated both Buffy and Riley because she did things without consent and etc. When you have somebody who is under the influence of magic or drugs or whatever, it is rape. It just is. It just is. And so even if these girls adore Jonathan and want him desperately, they are under the influence of something. The fact that he has these girls in his house and is presumably by all text, you know, evidence that we see sleeping with them on a regular basis. That makes Jonathan a serial rapist. It does. It's and that's really not even necessarily the problem with the episode because Jonathan is our bad guy. Let's be yeah, clear about that. Yeah, Jonathan yeah. is the mm-hmm. villain of the piece. Mm-hmm. As much as we like him and as much, you know, empathy as, as Danny Strong elicits with his yes. performance, mm-hmm. Jonathan is the bad guy. Yeah. The problem with the episode is the pat on the head ending that we'll get to in due course. Right. That it is not a, a commensurate, you know, suffering for Nothing what he did. like it. And the episode yeah. really does play it off. Right at the end of the episode, when Jonathan post-reversal mm-hmm. is talking with Buffy, he says in this plaintive voice, and the twins moved out of the house. Right. Which, yeah, you would hope that they would after suddenly coming to and realizing that they had been serially raped. Yeah. Now, yes, their memories are going to fade. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, we can we can choose to believe at least that their lives will not be completely ruined by this event. But it is a powerful removal of consent and agency in the most specific and troubling way. No, it really is. And the thing is that Jonathan throughout this whole thing is a really good guy. You know, I mean, he's a good guy who did a stupid thing, but he's a good guy. And the stuff that he works for is good. And he's trying to make the world a better place, just specifically making it a really much better place for him without having to do the work involved. I'm not at all sure I'm on board with this. Yeah. We like Jonathan because we like the performance and we like that he's funny and that he's capable and that he's heroic through much of the episode. Mm -hmm. And I believe actually is a hero at the climax of the the episode in a really interesting and, and complex and sophisticated way that absolutely speaks to the fundamental theme of the season. I think there's much more going on Mm -hmm. at the end of this episode than you might at first glance realize. But how many passes can we give Jonathan? How many times can we overlook the things that he's done because he has this enormous vulnerability Mm -hmm. and because he gave Buffy an umbrella? Yeah. This is, for me, absolutely across the moral event horizon. Mm -hmm. Because by all accounts, he recognizes the the mark on mm-hmm. the demon. Yeah. He's able to tell Buffy at the end what will happen if she persists in beating said demon up. Mm-hmm. He obviously knows what is going on. He's fully aware of the circumstances in which he finds himself. Mm-hmm. And yet he's still sleeping with these girls. Well, see, this is the thing. I think that it's a it's a whistle situation for me because I think that he's sleeping with these girls and it's one of these things like, oh, isn't it great to make him James Bond? Oh, isn't it funny to have him in the Matrix? Oh, isn't it funny to give him these Swedish twins? You know, um, and we're not thinking about the fact that I don't think that the same Jonathan that we're seeing in all the other scenes would sleep with those girls you're right the problem is that on that list of these are the things that make jonathan cool or these are at least the 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 accoutrement that accompany Mm -hmm. his cool life he has presumably the fast car he has the great mansion he has the starring role in the matrix he has a a, a trumpet solo 
in the bronze, which yes. is weird, but okay. <laughs> he also has on that list two human beings <laughs> with actual, you know, souls and identities and agencies that are going to be dealing with the consequence of this. And again, that's not a problem. You can tell stories about rape. It is a thing that you are allowed to do if you handle the consequences with sufficient gravity and sincerity. Right. I feel that these rapes, and they are absolutely rapes. We're not going to dance around that at all. They are absolutely that. Um, I feel like it's not consistent with Jonathan. Jonathan can do anything. He's created a world in which he is the absolute best of everything and chooses to spend his time killing vampires, killing monsters, trying to make the world safer, saving people's lives. So yes, he's also doing terrible things. He's also manipulated the universe. He's also basically futzed with everybody's brains, which is not okay, whether you have sex with them or not. But there's a key distinction mm -hmm. here, which is that Jonathan post spell mm -hmm. wish verse jonathan here is choosing to kill vampires and slay demons and protect the people of sunnydale mm -hmm. as well as starring in movies and, and having trumpet solos yes we don't know that pre-spell jonathan would have done those things we don't know that he had any interest in helping people this is the thematic crux of the episode and this is exactly how it connects to our season-long theme and most specifically to the faith story that we just wrapped up Faith impersonated Buffy, and in so doing, by walking in Buffy's shoes, she became a genuine hero. Mm -hmm. Jonathan's undergoing very much, as far as we can tell, mm -hmm. the same kind of, of evolution, the same kind of transformation. By presenting himself as a hero, he's forcing himself to act heroically. Sure. Mm -hmm. I would draw a very clean distinction between hero Jonathan and schlubby spellcasting Jonathan and, because yeah. a hero who wants to do good doesn't cast a spell that makes him you know no, a combination of all, Keanu Reeves and right. Duke Ellington that's all very very wrong like I'm, I'm not saying that it's not wrong like everything that he did regardless of the twins and the twins I think are the worst of it uh but I think that the way that it's written, it's written without regard for that. It's it's almost Scavonian. It's like, isn't this cute? This is a little joke, but it's not really addressed. And I think that in the writing, the question of the morality of Jonathan sleeping with those girls wasn't asked. Um, so yes, I, I think you're right. I do believe that had we been really with Jonathan, you know, um, I do believe that he probably wouldn't have taken it that far with these girls, but he did. He did. And I think that we, we still have to deal with that. And the fact that at the end, he loses everything that he got with the spell isn't quite enough. It's nothing like enough. Yeah. And Buffy's little talk with him. Mm -hmm. You're never going to change anything with a grand gesture. It's Justice all about little isn't change. really served. Oh, and also, you really have to face the consequences of your horrifying crimes. Yeah. Because it's not about making her and the other Scooby sock puppets. Or rather, it is about that. Because that's, that's a also horrifying a terrible thing, thing, too. It's, it's a bad thing to mess with everybody's minds and yes. to alter somebody else's reality. That it is also a violation. It's not the physical, visceral violation of, you know, of but a I, rape. But yeah. it's all the worse because we dehumanize Inga and Ilsa. Because we present these yes. stereotypical Swedish twins. I mean, They are God. completely objectified. In, That's yes. really mm -hmm. difficult. And we have to be so careful with Jonathan. And no spoilers, we will have to continue to be so careful with yeah. Jonathan. Mm -hmm. Because he is always going to walk this line. And unless you're paying very strict attention, you just like him. You I, just, well, no. You're swayed by the charm. I am. I am. I'm no, swayed am by too. Jonathan. I mean, I do. Like, I love this whole episode. And this element of this episode is wrong and disturbing and, and very bad. And he should have more. There should be real justice at the end. But because this is a one-off, because this is a bizarre world, because it's all a lot of it fun, you know, and, and it's fun to see Jonathan, this kind of schlubby, vulnerable, nerdy guy, have his day. Uh, it's unearned, sure. you know. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I agree with everything. But again, like this is one of those things where it kind of does ruin your ability if you think about it too much. You can't <laughs> unsee how incredibly what a, a, like a 
violent violation this is yeah. of everybody, not just those girls, but also how objectified we have these blonde twins as though they are not human people, but they are. And that's a problem, Which, too. In another show, maybe wouldn't be such a big deal. But Buffy is in part about mm-hmm. humanity and identity and, and seeing finding the humanity that in everyone. In things that even aren't human. Seeing the humanity in the vampire with a soul. Exactly. Seeing humanity in, in some the of the demons. without a soul. Yeah. We find the, we we find find humanity, the humanity in Spike. In, in Spike. Yeah. Every week we find the humanity with Spike in this very episode. Yeah. And yet these blonde twins are, are set dressed. They're objects. So yeah. if we have to whistle past that, and I think we've established that we do. The, the, the episode obviously requires that you whistle past it. The yeah. episode is not going to deal with it and does not see a problem well, with this. And there's something else that we have to whistle past. Mm-hmm. And conveniently, they're located very close together here <laughs> in the center of the episode. Because outside, Buffy is walking home with Willow and Tara. Tara says goodnight, but inside her dorm, she's attacked by the demon. She two screams so hard that we cut to commercial mm-hmm. this might be a secondary power that the demon manifests i don't quite understand <laughs> it when we come back though tara casts a spell to obscure its vision with mist and escapes the next morning buffy arrives at tara's room to find her beaten and bloody willow is tending to her and buffy confirms the symbol and the same demon but jonathan said they were safe mm-hmm. does it feel a little as though Tara has found an uncomfortable role in Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Yeah, she's our vulnerability mule. Right there. She's the one that we put in danger because she's, she's the one that we hurt. Yeah, she's so I mean she got chased and you know almost taken over by the uh the minions in Hush. Mm-hmm. Um she's the one that Faith was, you know, verbally abusive to her in uh in Who Are You? Um as Buffy. Um and so it's always Tara that's getting hurt. It's Tara who we have to protect it's Tara who's so incredibly vulnerable. It's Tara who can only barely protect herself um, and who, you know, gets beat up. And she's fridged mm-hmm. in this scene. This yeah. is a really uncomfortable thing for a show like Buffy to do. Mm-hmm. Fridging is basically hurting a female character, specifically a love interest, in order to motivate the hero. Yes. Which is exactly what we get here. Mm-hmm. Because later in the episode, Willow is all on board with figuring out what's going on with tracking down the demon with nary a mention of Tara yeah. at all. Mm-hmm. Tara herself has to bring it up right at the end of the episode. Mm-hmm. I don't like this treatment of Tara, though I really appreciate the performance. Yeah. That mm-hmm. little heartbreaking goodbye mm-hmm. between Tara and Willow yeah. right outside her dorm. Mm-hmm. That moment when they obviously, I mean, obviously want to kiss. Yes. They want to just be a couple. Mm-hmm. But it's this secret, private, intimate thing mm-hmm. that's delightful. Yeah. And a genuinely great performance when she's being hunted by the demon. Yeah. No, I mean, she's she's really good, but we see her in pretty much the same space that we've seen her a couple of times. So it's one of those things that it can, you can ring that bell a little too much. We did this with Willow a lot in the beginning because Willow was incredibly vulnerable and she was kind of our vulnerability mule. Whenever we wanted to motivate Buffy, we would hurt Willow. We would have right. Willow get kidnapped with something like that, you know? And now we're doing that with Tara because Willow is also powerful. Yeah, so. exactly. Mm-hmm. Buffy goes off to Xander's basement and is reluctantly invited inside by Anya. Let me say, by the way, for the record, with a couple of exceptions, I love Anya in this episode. Yay! She's given something to do, which is so so often not the case. I love Anya. Unfortunately, one of the things she's given to do, and the part of Anya that I don't like, Mm -hmm. is the repetition of the shrimp joke. Okay. By the time we mm-hmm. get to Giles, because, you know, we go there, we go there again. It's a funny callback. That's great. Then we go there like three more times. Yeah. And I get that the joke is that we keep going to the joke. Yes. But a little more discipline in this episode. <laughs> just another editorial pass. Just tighten that thing right up. Inside Xander's basement, though, Buffy sees Jonathan comic books and trading cards. And, of course, the book that Anya is reading. Buffy's having doubts about Jonathan's place in the world. She's figured out the scope of Anya's former power, and her suspicions are validated by Anya's descriptions of alternate worlds. At Giles's place, she lays her doubts at the feet of her friends and is met with skepticism. Jonathan is just the right kind of perfect, though his credits include all the things we previously saw Buffy do. Mm-hmm. So let's talk a little about this. Yeah. In due course, Giles and Willow and the others will figure out what has happened. They Mm -hmm. will figure out the spell that Jonathan cast and we'll move through to the conclusion of the episode and all will be well with the world. Mm -hmm. What is the virtue, narratively speaking, of Buffy having this weird intuition that something is wrong? 
Well, I think that we have given the Slayer strong instincts for when a world is not quite right. Um, so I, I think it's fairly consistent with the world that we built. She has prophetic dreams. And yes, this didn't come to her in a dream. But her ability to kind of see that things aren't quite the way that they should be, I think is is a fair enough play. You think so? I think so. I'm having trouble thinking of specific moments where we've seen... Buffy exhibit that kind of sensitivity, the kind of sensitivity that one would immediately attribute, of course, to someone like, say, Adam. Right. His ability to see through the veil of spellcasting. Sure. I'm having trouble remembering moments when Buffy hasn't been completely caught up in whatever has been happening, be it well, fair enough, in beer Pangs, or magical she candy. She was going or, to marry Spike and she right? was completely into that. Something blue, she's in it. The wish, the alternate mm-hmm. wish verse version of Buffy seems to be completely mm-hmm. caught up in her own existence. I'm not sure we've ever seen Buffy exhibit a sensitivity to this kind of stuff. We have seen her exhibit intuition, certainly mm-hmm. prophetic dreams, though there doesn't seem to be a dream a dream sequence here. here, but she's also been sort of usurped. She's still the Slayer. She knows she's the Slayer. So why is Jonathan the one who's all powerful? I think she's asking a lot of questions which are sort of common sense. It could also possibly be, too, that the monster is out now um, and the monster is weakening. The the glamour is weakening. It now could that be that the spell is wearing like. a little thin. That's actually very nice. Mm-hmm. The fact that perhaps Tara's spell hurt yeah. the demon enough. That, that Buffy could glimpse something. I, I like that a great deal, actually, okay. as an explanation. Well, feel free to take that on as headcanon. That then. is now headcanon. <laughs> I, I appreciate that. Because otherwise you end up in this weird place where we do get to an mm-hmm. actual explanation of what's happened. Yeah. The Scoobies arrive at it en masse during a research montage, which is what they usually do. Sure. Mm-hmm. But here we have Buffy presenting her beliefs her doubts her Mm -hmm. concerns about jonathan to the group and not being believed except for maybe the weirdest character beat in the entire episode yes where she stands up and says there's something weird about jonathan and everyone says you're crazy buffy shut (laughs) up and then riley says no she is crazy but I believe her. Yeah. And all the Scoobies say, oh, oh, well, if Riley <laughs> well, if believes Riley her. Riley believes her. Shut exactly. up, Meat Slab, get out of here. <laughs> what does Riley have to say that's in any way relevant to the proceedings? <laughs> These people have known Buffy for years. Yeah. Well, Even Anya has known Buffy for longer <laughs> than Riley. No, it's very, very true. One of the things that I really liked from this scene and from this episode in general is the way that Xander is written with his affection for Jonathan. Because we've had this whole thing before where Xander has this hero worship with Buffy that he needs that hero. He needs to believe in that hero. He has the comic books, you know. He wants to believe in the hero, the one person who can save the day no matter how dire the circumstances are. And he has transferred that over to Jonathan. And when they start talking about maybe Jonathan isn't Jonathan, Xander is just crestfallen. Yeah. And I love that consistency. It's a very subtle, it's kind of a background thing, but I love that in his character that we really do see that he needs that hero. He needs somebody to believe in. I think you're absolutely right. That had never occurred to me mm-hmm. prior to this viewing and prior to you bringing this point up, but I consider this to be absolute proof that a lot of our speculation about Xander's need for Buffy to be the hero and also his weird inability to separate that kind of admiration. Yes. The, the hero worship that he has for mm-hmm. Buffy from a romantic interest in Buffy. Sure. Which is why his romantic interest in Buffy is so weird and inconsistent and atonal. Mm-hmm. And here in this episode, we get pretty much the same romantic attraction to, to Jonathan, Jonathan. Because Jonathan is that, that hero. Position. Yeah. I consider that to be absolutely, that's open and shut now. That is absolutely what was happening with Xander. Uh, it's a nice consistency. And, and it explains a lot of the weirdness in the early days with him so and Buffy. Too. Yeah, They leaf through Giles's copy of the Jonathan swimsuit calendar. And there's the scar right on his shoulder. And there's Jonathan ready for an explanation. He tells the assembled Scoobies that Buffy is right and that he had the monster's mark tattooed on his shoulder as a reminder not to treat the thing too lightly. Buffy tells him that they should go hunting together, and they do, heading first to the graveyard, to the Alpert Mausoleum, in fact, and to Spike. Spike creepily threatens Buffy in what is a weirdly out-of-place scene Mm -hmm. in this episode. He's kind of vile. Yeah. In that moment. It's very oppressive. Mm -hmm. And in an episode in which Buffy is already suffering somewhat from being disempowered. Yeah. 
it really reads unpleasantly, mm-hmm. though not untrue to Spike's character. Yeah, you know, I'm going to say, I mean, this is Spike. This yeah. is one of the things that I absolutely love about what they do with Spike is that they don't forget that he is a monster. And, and this is another example of that. Mm-hmm. Sure. And then we have the reversal of him resisting Jonathan's questioning and then folding like a card table when Buffy questions him yeah. because she is still the Slayer. Mm-hmm. Though the question that I have is, how seriously was Jonathan trying to intimidate Spike? Mm-hmm. Was he hoping that Spike would send him away with no information and then they just have to go on and... Yeah, because Spike was going to help yeah. them find the monster. So I don't think that Jonathan was working that hard. So even Buffy's success in this episode is kind <laughs> of made possible by Jonathan not really trying Not much. really trying, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's troubling. <laughs> At Giles's place, Riley is apparently baffled by the existence of magic. Which is a fun little beat. Xander inadvertently catches a book on fire, and Willow discovers that the symbol is the proof that Jonathan cast a spell to make himself the best at everything, and the demon is the consequence. If the demon dies, the spell is broken, which means that Jonathan won't let Buffy get too close. In the cave, Buffy and Jonathan stand over a fathomless pit, which is very convenient. Jonathan hesitates, then leads Buffy back from the edge, just in time to be attacked by the demon. We cut away to Giles and the others, sitting around and discussing how the world would be different without Jonathan in the midst of a fight scene, as you do. Xander is hoping for a no-harm, no-foul defeat for Buffy, and that seems likely, since Buffy's never faced anything like this on her own before. Back in the cave, Jonathan fights the demon, but tells Buffy she has to handle it alone, and the more damage she does, the less new and improved Jonathan will be. Buffy does the thing that Buffy does, while Jonathan hides doing the thing that Jonathan does, until the demon is on the edge of the pit when he rushes out from cover and pushes it in. Buffy catches his ankle and we cut to Sunnydale where the magic ripple undoes the spell and return things to the way they were (laughs) in a brilliantly understated effect. Yes. Which I love quite a lot. We just see it wash over town. All the posters of Jonathan are removed. It's nice. It's it's a good moment, though I have to question the Dingoes Ate My Baby poster. Oh, yeah. Where apparently we have a number of Dingoes sitting at a table while a stereotypical 50s housewife presents them with a platter <laughs> upon which is some indeterminate meat product. <laughs> Oh, That's really weird. And I genuinely think if you look at that poster, yeah. it has the Dingo's Ate My, uh-huh. but the baby's is cut off at the bottom. It's it's hidden behind something. Oh, my goodness. And I, I didn't even see that. Why. I'm going to have to go back and look. That's terrible. Because and- if the idea is that this fallout looking housewife is presenting <laughs> Is presenting dingos, baby meat to the Dingo's. Right. No, that's terrible. Isn't it? It's terrible, but it's it sounds like exactly the kind of thing that they would put in there. I mean, it's terrible. It's brilliant in a horrible, gross way. <laughs> it sure is. It's a great moment. I really yeah. do love that effect, mm-hmm. though. The next day, the Scoobies sit under a tree at the UC Sunnydale campus, reminiscing about their time in the Jonathan-verse. They're having some trouble adjusting, but when Buffy sees Jonathan standing by himself, she goes over to talk. It turns out that he got the spell from a kid in his counseling group and didn't know about the monster. Buffy tells him that he can't fix everything all at once with a grand gesture, but he remembers some advice that he gave her about Riley, and that he knows it's true. What she has with Riley is complicated, but worth it. Later, Buffy and Riley are making out on his bed, healing their relationship without all that pesky talking until Buffy moans Jonathan, and we cut to credits, <laughs> and I bang my head against my desk. Okay, I'm sorry. I love that joke. <laughs> the thing about that joke is yeah. that apart from Buffy, everyone's mm-hmm. memory is fading really super fast. This yeah. is obviously, I don't know, an hour or two hours later. Right. The mm-hmm. response that she's going to get is, who? <laughs> it's maybe yeah. one beat too far, and I'm not sure that we need to close the episode on Buffy and Riley. I think well, closing the yeah, episode mm-hmm. when Jonathan walks away, yeah. instead of having to, because we really have to work to force the moral ending here. We really mm-hmm. have to grind out the applicability of the Jonathan storyline to Buffy's personal life right yeah. now. Mm-hmm. So we have to do this weird thing where he half remembers the advice he gave her, but not really. And mm-hmm. he knows that it's true, but he doesn't remember what it is. And it's kind of applicable to him and it's kind of applicable to her and it's not really applicable to either. Mm-hmm. And it just kind of hangs there i feel like if we'd had a little more time and not felt the need to reconnect it to buffy and riley Mm -hmm. we could maybe have done something a little more pointed 
to Jonathan. We could have. I think that in this moment when Jonathan, you know, goes to see her and and mentions the twins, I think if we had not mentioned, if he had not whined about the twins that mm-hmm. he violated mm-hmm. so horribly uh, leaving, I think that this could probably work a little bit better in the ending. Um, I think that, you know, Buffy, especially having just had a similar thing happen to her. Having her body taken away and used against her will. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I would think that she, of anybody, would be particularly sensitive to this (laughs) thing that Jonathan has done. You'd think so. And, you know, and so, like, it's one thing to have these objectified twins in the middle of it that we can just whistle past it. To have him add insult to injury by whining about the fact that they left him rather than celebrating the fact that they did not kill him with sharp knives. But we're also yeah. not addressing the ongoing consequence. He did cast a very powerful spell that could have had what and would have violated, happened, yeah. for example, if the demon had killed Karen with a K, if the demon had yeah. killed Tara. We have yeah. no reason to believe mm-hmm. that when the spell was undone, those people would have been restored to life. What happened in the Jonathan verse seems to stick. Have happened, yeah. Yeah. So he needs to face the consequences of his actions. The kid needs to be, I don't know, taken away by the Watchers Council. They need to have a place for imprisoning. Well, and also, obviously, a powerful guy. If he can put a spell like that, I mean, he's somebody who needs to, I mean, he is a loose cannon with that kind of magical power. Um, which we have been shown. I mean, for Willow to do something like that, that would have been a huge, well, big deal. I mean, yes, this is so powerful. Yes, so in this episode, Xander starts a fire in a book just by saying two words in Latin. True, we may have relaxed some of that canon a little bit. Though but I that's think that, also yeah. mm-hmm. possibly attributable to the Jonathan verse. Yeah. It may be that magic is just easier because oh, that's of the entirely changes possible that he's made. Too. It's entirely possible, too. And I would take that as headcanon for that, because otherwise, that, that whole book lighting on fire thing, that's just, just way too dangerous. Just for saying two words in Latin, too. That's just, well, although I do no like the Latin moment. No Latin dictionaries exist Child in the Buffyverse. Says, Don't speak Latin at the books. <laughs> you know what? It's emblematic of yeah. this entire episode, mm-hmm. which is, it's huge fun in yeah. the moment. But when you think about it, you start to wonder, well, okay, but how does but that don't really think about it too much? Yeah. yeah, it is one of these things that like when thinking about it too much sort of sucks the fun out of it. I mean, I still love this episode. The ending where Buffy says Jonathan, I still think is funny. I am okay with that. Um, I do think you're right. Jonathan needs to be taken by the Watchers Council. There has to be some sort of consequence. There has to be somebody helping him harness whatever powers it is that he has. He just did something incredibly dangerous, and we're just sort of letting him limp off because he's vulnerable. Yeah, and as Anya makes clear, it is you know a wish level power. Yeah, it is. I mean, that's a big. That's a big power. You know, so I think that this is one of those things. It's a lot of fun in and of itself. If you look at it too hard, it's really problematic. Let's put it on the list. Sure, let's, let's put it on the list. Let's figure out a happy resting point for it on the big list of every Buffy episode ever. And of course, we have to start by looking at some similar alternate universe sure. what mm-hmm. if stories. Doppelgangland is currently at nine on mm-hmm. our list. The Zeppo, which isn't an alternate universe, but might as well be. It's, it's alternate perspective. Sure. So is it number it 15? reads like a bizarro world. Yeah. Well, we've got mm-hmm. that run. The Zeppo, The Wish, and Band Candy at mm-hmm. 15, 16, and 17. Yep. Mm-hmm. Is this better than those three episodes, or mm. does it fit somewhere in there? I feel like I, I feel like it's better. I feel like it belongs sort of in that neighborhood. I feel like that's a comfortable neighborhood for sure. it. Um, it's a good episode. It's a really well-written episode. It's really funny. It's a little self-indulgent. Has huge world problems. <laughs> you know, if is you really think as, about it too much. Is it as good, as enjoyable, as admirable as Doppelgangland? Or is I that our upper limit? Think, I don't think it's that high. We have Doppelgangland at 9. We have Passion at 10. We have I Only Have Eyes for You at 11. Mm-hmm. And I don't think I can put Superstar above those. Um, so I think that I would I would have it anywhere. Like, at Bad Girls is at 12. Mm-hmm. Um I know I enjoy Superstar much more than Bad Girls. I know that I would watch it again before Bad Girls. Is it better than Bad Girls at 12? Is it better than Amends at 13? For me, I would probably put it in under Amends because, as has been said right. many times, Amends is what I go to Buffy for. And I think Amends is good. You you turned me around on Amends. Um, yeah. So I would maybe put it in there right above the initiative at 14 with the understanding that there's nothing... Besides what we've described at length yeah. in this in mm-hmm. this episode, there's nothing really wrong with Superstar. It just doesn't it doesn't transcend its origins. It is yeah. a funny what if story mm-hmm. that 
has some problems, but is also, you know, diverting and engaging mm-hmm. and anchored in some great performances. Yes. I, it doesn't amount to much. It isn't certainly what I go to Buffy for. It's kind of what I go to Buffy for at a certain <laughs> level. I love the bizarre. See, that's interesting that, that this not being my favorite episode yeah. or, or my type of favorite episode mm-hmm. and it being yours, it's interesting that we're putting it at roughly the same place. We still kind of feel it belongs yeah. in the same space. It's really well written. Jane Espenson is hilarious and her sense of humor is absolutely made to delight me. <laughs> I love her sense of humor. So for me, those episodes tend to to go a little higher. That said, um, as much as I love it, as much as I enjoy it, and I do think it's well written with a couple of things that possibly could have had a little attention as far as the, the greater impact implications on the world. Um, I really feel like there are episodes of Buffy that are just so powerful. And I mean, they're Mm -hmm. trying to do something different. I don't want to punish Superstar because it's not passion, but it's not passion. Passion (laughs) has that, that punch to the gut, you know? So it looks as though we're talking above or below amends. Um, I would put it below amends, above initiative. Right. Yeah. But with a great deal of affection. With a great deal of affection. And a great deal of whistling. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so that is it. There will be a short spoiler section after the music in this episode of Dusted, but we will return on Thursday to look at the next episode of Angel, the 17th episode of the first season of Angel eternity we hope you'll be able to join us for that so stay tuned for the spoiler zone if you've seen buffy before (laughs) we'll see you on thursday with angel until then i'm alistair stevens and i'm lonnie diane rich and this is dusted two quick things for the spoiler section i guess for superstar the first we should talk about Jonathan. Sure, we should. We talk should. about the fact that he now disappears from Buffy until the fourth episode of season six, at which point he returns and becomes a part of the geek trio. Yeah. And for all that we talked about consequence at the end of <laughs> Superstar, if only someone had taken some kind of action, yeah. season six might have turned out very differently. But he's a really interesting presence mm-hmm. throughout that season oftentimes presented as the anchor point between Warren on the one hand and Andrew on the other, but usually somehow managing to convince the world and us Mm -hmm. that his profound weakness and cowardice is actually vulnerability. No, there is that. He has this ability to like weaselly get out of consequence for the things that he does because he is so incredibly weak. But it's exactly that weakness combined with his power and his inability to really see what he should be doing or what is wrong in what he's doing um, that makes him such an interesting character. By the time we get to him in season six and he's part of you know this bad trio that is somewhat laughable but then becomes gradually more and more dangerous as we move through the season um when he's part of that trio he appears as the moral center he's the one who asks the questions and maybe we shouldn't do this and maybe that's not right but when it comes right down to it he participates fully in everything so i think that he's really interesting we don't really see him deal with consequence until well into season seven well arguably we don't even see him deal with consequence then except in the you know mortal sense well yeah yeah he finally takes it on the chin and then when he does when he gets killed it's still you know it is a terrible thing possible fallout exactly it's a terrible thing for andrew you know to kill jonathan in that circumstance but it's also you know jonathan has kind of earned that as much as i don't want to say it because i like him so much and i don't know that necessarily he deserves death but this is a guy who has put so many people from superstar all the way through has put so many people at so much risk for selfish weak reasons and then weasels out of consequence for that arguably a powerful intervention at the end of Earshot, and mm-hmm. certainly a powerful intervention at the end of Superstar, would have saved the world. <laughs> well, apparently, a lot it of was trouble. the therapist that he got at the end of Earshot that <laughs> led him straight to Superstar. Maybe don't go to a therapist in Sunnydale. Maybe not. That's kind of asking for trouble. Is yeah, the thing. therapist on the hell mouth. That's just not good. The other topic for this week's spoiler zone, though, is the subtle introduction of an idea that will have consequences for the rest of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Namely, the implanting of false memories. Yeah. Which feel real and exert an emotional influence Mm -hmm. even after they're revealed to be implanted memories. 
And again, we'll see Buffy completely oblivious to that throughout. Oh, absolutely. We're talking, of course, about Dawn. Yeah, we've got Dawn coming right at the beginning of season five. We have been leading up to Dawn in so many ways. We're going to have more hints about her in this season. Um, but we had her, we had Faith talking about her in, in season three. We had Little Sisses coming at the beginning of this year's Girl just two episodes ago. And so here we are in a world in which it is possible to insert false memories memories into people's experiences and make them think that that's just the way it's always been. It's interesting seeing that connection mm-hmm. and kind of understanding that in some sense, whether purposeful or, or not, Superstar can be seen as as staging for yeah. what we're going to experience throughout seasons five, six and seven with regard to Dawn. It's interesting to look at that and wonder if we are cued to view Dawn with more suspicion. Mm-hmm. To believe when she shows up that she will be a temporary addition yeah. to mm-hmm. the cast. If we're supposed to see this as something that will and should and must be undone, just as the Jonathan verse will and undone. should and must mm-hmm. be undone. Mm-hmm. Only for the show to really commit and to really play straight. And Dawn. to stick with it, absolutely, when, to keep her there. In a very real sense, Dawn is no more real than Jonathan starring in The Matrix. No, true. I think that we're dealing with a different situation with Dawn, and I think that she is real. Well, we're not dealing with the violation of will. We're not dealing with the manipulation and puppetry of other people's agencies. Right. And is Dawn it is also the intent? The intent with Dawn is to put her in a space where she's hidden and protected Sure. Um, for the ultimate good. So, I mean, does intent... If intent is selfish and venal in the way it is with Jonathan, then it's a greater violation than in the, and also the rest of the world is exactly the way it's supposed to be with Dawn. She's just added in, exactly. you know. Exactly. So, uh, so I think it's a different circumstance with Dawn. I think that it's it's an earned situation with Dawn where her insertion into the world is earned throughout season five. But it is a really interesting setup of this, you know, into the world building. One last incidental detail then before we wrap up this week's spoiler section. Allow me to recommend, though I haven't read it myself, you understand, Jonathan, colon, codename, colon, comrades. (laughs) The comic book prequel to Superstar released by Dark Horse in January of 2001. This is an issue actually written by Jane Espenson. These are the quasi-canonical comics Uh that came out before Whedon returned to Buffy and, and started crafting a canonical continuation of that universe in the comic book format. So I don't know how much this is quote-unquote true, or even how much it is quote-unquote good, but people speak highly of it, and it certainly has the best name ever. Jonathan, colon, codename, colon, comrades. (laughs) Check it out. I'm sure you can find it somewhere on the internet. (laughs) That is it for the spoiler section. That is it for this week's show, guys. Thank you so much for listening. As always, we'll be back on Thursday with Angel Episode 17, Eternity. We'll talk to you then. Grr, arg.